Welcome to the Green Iron Show. I think we're on radio row on our own at this time of day. I can really let rip because we're recording this podcast at 10 p.m. at night. That's 4 a.m. in the morning, your time. And we've got some great, great guests. We've got Mark Wilf, the owner of the Vikings. We've got Delaney Walker, Greg Cassell. We've got Malcolm Jenkins, the safety of the Eagles. And we've got Ollie Whipping and Nene. It's as good as it sounds. This is the Green Iron Show. Hello, welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips. Check them out online, touchdowntrips.com, or go to their Facebook, Touchdown Trips, get involved. Getting you in the game. Getting you in the game, get involved online, at uh, Facebook, on Twitter, etc. Ollie, that was a really good, like, uh, a good Hollywood soundbite of an apple. Was that, did you enjoy that? Uh Um... We are alone on Radio Row, apart from those guys at CBS. I think they're broadcasting throughout the night. I know we're really loud. I, I'm, I, should we go and offer them an opportunity to speak with some British people? Because I'm sure they would do it. <laughs> if we just went and stood behind <laughs> Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, I've heard CBS, and maybe if I offered to let them speak to British people, they'll get me on their show. This is unbelievable. You're pathetic. This is now CBS, NFL Network. ESPN. The bloody ESPN San Antonio guys who he's been kissing right. the ass off for three days. That's true. Yeah, Does yeah. it ever end? <laughs> let me on your radio program. I've got an ego to build. Tosser. I'm thoroughly enjoying Sherry's bitterness because what's happened this evening is that we finished our work on Radio Rome. We're due to record a podcast immediately after we'd done the TalkSport 2 show, which was a great show tonight. We had uh, Dan Hansis, we had Greg Rosenthal, we had Neil Reynolds, we had me, Sherry, Ollie. It was a good night, a good night overall. We had Powell. Oh. Paolo didn't turn up in time, but he came enough to say hello to Greg. So well done, buddy. Um, but uh, Sorry, yeah, man. we then we're, shed. we were all ready to record the Gridiron Show, and then you'd like to hit a tight shed, wouldn't you? As we were all ready to, that's what a does bizarre that one. Mean? That doesn't mean anything, does it? High five in that. As we were all ready to to get on and crack on and record the show. Uh, we get a phone call from Liam Backburn pointing out that it was 20 minutes until 7 o'clock and the Houston Rockets game was due to start in 20 minutes' time that we all had tickets for. So we all scrambled for the door, finished a couple of beers and then went down and watched the Rockets game. And I'm left to wonder what will capture the imagination more, that game or the Super Bowl? Well, the original plan was that we were going to... I've never known a man stay. more unhappy to go to a sporting event than you were. There were freaking 12 <laughs> people in there. <laughs> it was about half full, it which was? is bizarre considering half. Atlanta were, one of, were one of the teams. Half is generous. Well, I thought it was half empty. Atlanta... I, I would say it's half full. <laughs> ah, good. The fact that Atlanta were one of the teams playing, it makes it surprising that it was half empty, but... I don't know about everyone else. I had several beers and a couple of frozen margaritas, and I had a wonderful time. I had a great time. It was pretty good. I'm I had driving, a feeling, so I didn't have any beers. The, hi- the highlight and of that, the- I've got to say, and that is the exact point of this entire evening, because the fact that Matt Sherry is driving seems to be the reason that he's in such a bad mood. So, Matt, what's wrong? What's really got your goat? Tired. You're tired. 
What else is wrong, Matt? My bowels are in trouble after so much bad food. <laughs> <laughs> and that's more than enough of that. Let's <laughs> move on. Far. <laughs> but the, the highlight of, uh, of the night was when... I think at a timeout with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter, they, they cracked on YMCA. <laughs> they didn't just crack on YMCA. They popped on YMCA and a full-on dance broke out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a full-on dance, not, on, not only on the court, but also in the stands, people. Yeah, you're welcome. High fives for the three members of the Gridiron show that did manage but to get up. But Sorry. We got out of our seats. We danced to the YMCA. We thrust ourselves. It was a glorious uh, five or ten minutes of action. And the fact is, is that halftime three-point game looked exciting. And then the Rockets absolutely came out and dominated the third quarter, struck out a near 20-point lead. And then suddenly, at the end, the hardcore podcast or the hardcore podcast. Sure the Hardaway podcast, am I right? You are right, because Timmy Hardaway Jr. had a glorious night. Hardaway, don't want to run away. And uh, Dwight Howard, 23 rebounds on the night as the Atlanta Falcons, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, the Atlanta Hawks. Why is it always birds? Uh, I've never associated Atlanta as a particularly bird heavy place. Sorry, a, a, a Brave's birds. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Good one, Ollie. Thank you very much. <laughs> no one, no one, re- no one really cares about the baseball. sporting surprise. Supreme sorry. surprise. Sorry, should you, you be saying that, that with the? Absolutely, I should not. But <laughs> let's not talk about that right now and move on very quickly. Um, we had a great day. I had. We all had a great day on Radio Road today. I feel like we did the Talksport Two show. There's loads of great stuff in that and we had loads of great guests sat right here we had Clinton McDonald from the Bucks we had Delaney (laughs) it's the most genuinely that's like a proper Hollywood bite give me another one come on I was even better like that could actually go into like a like if you bought a sound effects library a CD or a, or a digital this, library, this and that was your start. apple biting. Sound, Have you ever you thought of this selling is, some of these clips? I think you've got a market. This is the start of the game-changing sponsorship deal with Apple. It's <laughs> <laughs> the gridiron show global, isn't it? It really is. It really is. Um, <laughs> Such consistency. Let's see if I can get a similar sound out of a banana. Um, we had uh, Delaney Walker. We had Jim Welter, Greg Cassell. We had Jack Youngblood, a Hall of Famer. Uh, Jeremy Curley. Uh, oh, I love Jeremy Curley. Mark Wilf, Matthew Berry, <laughs> O.C., <laughs> Sharita Taylor and Brooklyn Decker. We had loads of great guests here on Radio Own. We're going to bring plenty of those coming up for you shortly on the show today. Uh, we, in fact, we're just going to do a little short intro, then we'll get into a lot of interviews. But uh, uh, outside of our great interview today, Ollie, did you enjoy your day today? <laughs> yeah, I had a great day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. I was consumed oh. by... The TalkSport show, so, I'm oh, sorry, I've had a bit of apple juice go the wrong way down my mouth. <clears throat> the banana's really not, not creating any, any noise impact in the right way. But yeah, I had oh, a, God, it is now. <laughs> I had a great day. My, my highlight of the day, and I'll get this in early, was Jeremy Curley. That was, early Curley? Jeremy Curley was good fun. That was not my highlight of the day. Was it when Matthew Berry met Matthew Sherry? 
Well, Matthew well, Berry, Matt V. Sherry was a real highlight. Was that your highlight of the day? No. no. The true highlight of the day came when uh, famed actress Brooklyn Decker oh, my God. and Special Olympian Sharita Taylor, six-time winner of a medal in figure skating, came over. We had a great 10-minute interview. Sharita was fantastic uh, with Brooklyn. She was great on the Special Olympics. We talked about her, about her time starring on the league, her time with Adrian Peterson playing a bit of a bad egg. We'll Who bring you all of that. the league? Sharita was on the on in the league. No, Sharita wasn't in the league. Brooklyn Decker was in the league. Right. She's the actress. Who was she in the league? She played the uh, the girl, the former girlfriend of the black-haired one. Of the of the black-haired one. Of no, of Pete. Yeah, she played the former girlfriend of Pete. Came back. They dated for a couple of years. A couple of years. A couple of episodes, and then she reappeared in a later episode, dating Adrian Peterson. Yeah. I don't think she's that great, is she? She was lovely. That's the main thing. And Sharita was lovely as well. And. My real highlight of the day was this moment, and I'm going to bring it to you now, because Ollie Hunter, whilst we were talking about we were talking with Sharita about figure skating, about the Special Olympics, and I asked Sharita whether or not, you know, Super Bowl parties were, were a big thing. Whether, whether Super, Bowl par- well, Super Bowl parties, no, but parties at the, uh, the Special Olympics were a big thing to them. Like they are here at the Super Bowl, there is a wonderful moment going on of a spiral pass being thrown to Sherry of some water. Um, and Sharice Taylor said they throw some dance parties, they throw, and she taught us how to whip a nene. And Ollie did a whip and a nene. And he, well, first of all, I'm just gonna let's just play the audio because it's, it's genuinely brilliant. <coughs> oh God, <laughs> Sherry, what's happened? <laughs> <laughs> the water went down the same pipe as Ollie's apple juice. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> 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 genuinely hit the floor. I think we've broken on it. <laughs> right. This time I'm genuinely going to leave him there. Uh, and we're going to play out the full version of that laughter track. Ollie's right now on the floor. And we'll play the full version of that laughter track out at the end of the show. Uh, so here is, as I was previously mentioning, uh, Sharita Taylor teaching Ollie how to whip and how to nene. Uh, let me ask you about this year's games, uh, 2017 out in Austria in March. I'm just reading the amount of people involved, 2,700 athletes, 107 different nations represented. It, a huge event and, and something that's a great worldwide movement. Yes, it is. It, I'm, I'm blown away by the scope of it, and um, I, I just can't wait to, to meet the other athletes from other countries, and um, I'm raring to go. I... <laughs> I can't wait to meet everybody and uh, make lasting friendships because that's what Special Olympics is all about. Do they throw you some nice big parties like the one they do here? The ones here they do at the Super Bowl? Uh, yeah, <laughs> they have dances and stuff. Brilliant! I yeah. bet you're brilliant at those as well. <laughs> Dancing can, on, on not even she on has ice. She to be. Yeah. I can bust a move. Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, uh, uh, Brooklyn, uh, coming to you. What? What? 
inspired you to get involved in, in the Special Olympics and in this movement? Uh, my aunt's a Special Olympics athlete. So, okay, yeah, so I grew up around it. Um, my aunt's a tennis player and a basketball player, so not the Winter Games. Sharita's going to have to give her a nice skating lesson. Um, but, but, yeah. Well, Ollie can come along as well. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. Me too. I'll tag on to that one. <laughs> right, okay. uh, and then she can give us a dancing lesson because I feel like we all need it. I feel like everyone at this oh, table except for Sharita needs a dancing lesson. Is that, <laughs> is that are you, right? Are you playing on the stereotype that Brits can't dance? So, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, but if it makes you feel oh. any better, I'm in the same boat. Okay. So we're all together. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm kind no. of in limbs everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You can teach it a whip nay nay. Okay, we need a whip nay <laughs> yeah. Sorry, what's a whip nay nay? We need a whip nay nay. What, are oh. you really not? Watch me whip. Watch me nay nay. No. Yeah. Watch you are incredible. Whip. Can, can you do it? basically a caveman, aren't you? Whip. Oh. Nay nay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I, I, wow. Please tell wow. me somebody around the table filmed Ollie just trying Audible. to do a whip nay nay. You've got to send me that because that's one of the greatest moments of the week so far. <laughs> Could well, that was a, spe a special, special moment, and he's still down on the floor, and he's still laughing, and he'll join us at some point during the podcast, I'm absolutely could, sure. Do you reckon we could get her back on to teach him how to stop laughing? I, I'm not, I'm not sure we can. Oh, my God. Come back, Ollie. Come back to us. Come on. You done? Oh, those, that's so loud when you pick those up. Uh, I'm so sorry about that, guys. Sherry, that was a great joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of your best, man. Uh, oh, I actually cried. Oh, I'm really sorry about that. So, that was the highlight of my day. We've heard the highlight of Ollie's day. Well, I've, that, high eight. High eight. <laughs> that Matt also Sherry. encapsulates the low light of my day. Uh, absolutely. Matt Sherry was the highlight of your oh, day. No, no, no. Sherry, we went and had a picture with, with Sharita and uh, Brooklyn. Sherry had not been involved with the interview whatsoever. Oh, I'll get in the picture. He manages to p position himself in between me and... Actress and model. Actress and model, all-round beautiful woman, I didn't Brooklyn she, Decker. I didn't think she was as good as I thought. Why did you put yourself between them, then? Well, that makes it worse. You're out of order, no mate. No luck going on up to She was delightful. Lovely woman. Absolutely lovely. Why are you moving? I'm, I'm just turning you off now, Sherry. You can't keep that's doing that, That's going to happen. That's out of order. Right. Can you even hear it? Let's move on and talk about some actual football from there. Stop with the expression. <laughs> it sounds like I'm playing that in off here. That is seven and nine bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I forgot all about that. How's it come? God damn it. Um, <laughs> Loads of great interviews today, but uh, what was your highlight of the day? Paolo, you actually went to Patriots, you went to Falcons today. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about some actual real football? Uh, well, I, I can't tell you about actual real football. I can tell you about talking to some actual real football people. Tell us about the game this weekend and what you learned from those press conferences and those conversations. Uh, I, think, um, I spent more time with the Falcons. I was only in the, in the Patriots quite briefly. But um, I learned from Mohamed Sanu that the Falcons uh, receivers have a thing this season where... Anytime any of them drops a pass in practice, they do 10 push-ups. So you can end up doing a lot of push-ups if you're dropping passes in practice. Um, and it's sort of tied together with something. I had a conversation um, with Richard Smith, the Falcons defensive coordinator, which always the best thing at Super Bowl week is getting to talk to the, uh, the coaches. Um, when you get a little bit of time with the coaches, they actually will talk about stuff that is um, detailed and that gets into the... Uh, uh, the actual X's and O's and stuff. The nitty-gritty. Yeah. I knew shit. Um, and the thing that he was sort of really harping on actually with this group... because This is great banter! <laughs> um, with the... <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. Um, yeah, but he was just talking about um, 
how much because it's a young defense at Atlanta. They've got I think four rookies starting. About how much they just worked on the fundamentals, and about how much it's literally every day at practice doing the stuff that you think uh, you don't expect NFL players to do as much. Just the uh, um, tackling the, the the simple form stuff that you think they wouldn't have to do and actually maybe the Falcons need it because I think they've missed the second most tackles of any team in the NFL this Start. season but, uh, yeah from us straight from the PFF book straight from the PFF game breakdown um, but yeah they um, it was just yeah it's, it's always like I say it's always interesting to hear a coach actually talk about what they do in a day-to-day sense great good stuff and from the Patriots anything oh, well, particularly interesting uh, well I was mostly at the Patriots for one particular question which is whether or not uh, either of the two of the players who have done uh, anthem protests during the season which is Martellus Bennett and Devin McCourty were going to do one this Sunday uh, and they aren't so well I mean it leads us perfectly though into uh, they aren't isn't the, the perfect it would have been perfect if they said they are but uh, well, you can't on, lie to the listeners well, well I, that's why I just didn't the earlier on, I you, got you, you might have tenuous broad, broadcasting standards, but this guy is a model pro. Uh, yeah. I, I when you say this I guy, think I think you mean Paolo Bandini, not you. I think both of us. <laughs> we've, we've seen enough non-model pro behaviour from the British media this week. This is great banter. Really right, is. so I spoke earlier with Malcolm Jenkins, safety of the Philadelphia Eagles, and a lot of the interviews we're holding back until after the Super Bowl, specifically team-based ones, but Malcolm Jenkins was great because not only did we talk about the Eagles and, and their defence, but we got nitty-gritty, we got down and into it because he's really, he's a bit of a socialist and he's talks about Black Lives Matters and, and the American world under Donald Trump and I found it fascinating talking with a current NFL player about this, so here's my chat with Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm Jenkins? Yeah. Superstar safety of the Philadelphia Eagles joining us now on Radio Row for TalkSport and the Gridiron Show. First of all, how are you enjoying your... I know you'd rather be here playing, but how are you enjoying your Super Bowl 51 experience so far? So far, so good. I mean, today is that, that work day. You know, I've been making my rounds since about 7.30 this morning, uh, doing all the medias and appearances. And, and, but it's fun, you know, having a good time, looking forward to, to some of the parties and seeing all my colleagues and hanging out. That's it, you get to cut loose after this, right? Yeah, after this you get to relax a little bit, hang out. Got some, some, some big events tomorrow and getting out of here Saturday so I can go home and watch the game and enjoy it. It's one of my favorite things you see at Radio Row when we're sat there and like, you know, we're sat there now with OCU Manure and, and Jason Bell and another, you know, someone from that Giants team will come over and they'll just start chatting to each other. And it's, it feels like even though you've got that kind of media obligation, it actually seems like quite a lot of fun for you guys at the same time. It is. You get to see guys, you know, that as you're passing through and going to your next interview, I got a chance to talk, stop and talk to Antonio Brown, you know, just kind of you know, shoot the breeze a little bit. You used to see some teammates, some old friends that you haven't seen in a while, and all the ones, all the retired players that are now into the media and, and announcers and stuff. So it's it's a good time for us to just get back. You know, it's, the Super Bowl is a huge week for everybody in the league, even for all the guys that aren't in it. Uh, it's, a, it's a big week for us to be able to come out and get together. Uh, talk to me about the Eagles this season. Off to a great start. Didn't end the way you wanted it to, but. Considering the coaching changes, considering the new organization in there, it felt like a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, we got off to such a hot start that everybody almost forgot about the fact that we had a brand new defensive coordinator, a brand new head coach, and a rookie quarterback. You know, and the the um, optimism and expectations were were so high that you know the season ended in, in feeling disappointing. But when you look back at it and you over, or you evaluate it. It didn't come out the way we wanted it to, but we definitely um, laid the foundation for something uh, bigger next year and years to come. I think we, we've 
feel very, very comfortable that we found our quarterback, which is one of the hardest things to do in this league is to find a quarterback that you can build around. Uh, we signed last year a bunch of core players to, to contracts, including myself. So we feel like we have a nucleus of players that we can build on and, and, and take that next step. And, you know, so we're looking forward to this offseason, seeing what we do in the draft, seeing what we do in free agency to see how we can, you know, push to just coming up short in some of these close games to, to winning and, and being in the playoffs. That's it. It's matter of inches. And I want to ask about Jim Schwartz because I, I watch games all week. I watch the film. I try and figure out what defenses are doing. And you guys seem to just be flying around like nobody's business. Like, he, he's creative. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. What's it been like adapting to that this year? It's been fun. And I think he's, he's a, a bright mind when it comes to defense. He knows how to stop what offenses want to do uh, with also keeping an identity and, and being able to make it not so complicated so that we can play fast and play with an attitude. I think I'm, 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 I'm personally looking forward to moving into a second year under his defense where he can let loose of the controls a little bit and give mm -hmm. the players a little bit more, um, you know, say so on the field so that we can, as players, when we see things, we can get ourselves out of some bad uh, situations. And that all comes with time on task and trust. Uh, I think that's going to be the next step for this defense is being able to get the players like myself and Jordan Hicks uh, more involved in, in doing things on the field to change plays to put us in some real advantageous spots there's definitely talent in those units there's no doubt and obviously every team has injuries every year but you do feel like a couple of the right pieces in the draft on that defense side of the ball and when you consider the teams that you've got in your division i mean it's got to hurt to see the cowboys win so many games go so deep in the playoffs but do you think you're close to being able to match up with the offense is as high powered as that. Uh, I mean, I think we're right there. You know, in the, the first game, uh, we played the Cowboys winning overtime, um, and, and we played really well. We, you know, did some things late in the game to, to get them back into it, but we felt like we should. We left that game feeling like we should have won. Um, and, and right now, they're at the top of our division, so we. I don't. The division for us isn't in question. We feel like we can compete. Um, obviously, you know, we, we feel like we need to add one or two pieces to put ourselves over the hump. But when it comes to our division, we're right there. And what about Coach Peterson? I, I wonder, first year for him, and obviously a lot of talk was about him coming in and being a quarterback guy, you guys going out there and getting Carson so high, and, and the impressive certainly the start to the season and rookie season that he had. But from a defensive perspective, was it a case of him letting Jim Schwartz just do his thing, or did he get involved with you guys, and what was your experience of him in year one? I mean, he's definitely an offensive coach. you know. So he let Jim run the defense. Um, I, I can't remember a time where... Uh, coach came into a defensive meeting that's Doug that's just not you know his wheelhouse and I think that's you know the mark of a, a smart coach who understands that for him to be successful he needs a, a, a solid team around him that he trusts to get things done um, and I think we've got a great defensive coordinator we got a great special teams coordinator that I hope uh, doesn't leave to become a head coach anywhere um, and so that, that allowed him to, in his first year as a head coach, focus on the offense, focus on the new quarterback that we have, installing this new system. Um, and, and I think he learned a lot in his first year, a lot of things that he couldn't prepare for and he just had to go through them. But overall, I think him being a former player gave him a little bit of a uh, step up, being able to relate to the players, being able to talk to leadership every week and keeping the team together because when things start going wrong in Philly, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's a fan base yeah, that cares. It's, yeah, Let's it's, put it it's that tough way. to keep things together, and, and that's one thing that we did as a team. So he's got that down. That's the hardest part about, you know, being in Philadelphia is being able to keep your organization and your team tight. 
So now we're just building on from here. Uh, now, Malcolm, I was particularly excited to speak with you because beyond what you do in the league that's so great, and I've been a fan right through with the Saints and with the Eagles as well, but when we came over for the trip this weekend, we were coming to Texas on, on Saturday and we kind of had a conversation on the plane. How much do we discuss the political situation in America at the moment? Because, I mean, looking from the outside, looking in, it's, it's both fascinating, maybe slightly terrifying to us as well. But it's the fact is right now you've, you've got a president who's been put in place and you've got a situation which is seeing marches back in the UK against some of the things he's putting in and against his visits out there. So just talk a bit about, I, I know you're a bit of a political animal, about what your involvement's been in that kind of socialist side of things. Yeah, I think right now we're at a unique point in history where you know the not only america but the world feels like there's a direction that's getting ready to change and i think the world wants to make sure that that direction uh or that that turn is in the direction that they want it to be and so you're starting to hear more people get active you're seeing protests you're seeing people speak out um, and I think that's important especially here in America where we say it's a democracy and the voice of the people is what drive uh, everything that we do it's important for for people to be heard and, and you know for myself with the platform and influence that I have um, what I want to be able to do is use that and, and also take part in this moment and be able to um, say that I did my part. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think that, that idea that you stood back and did nothing in a time when it feels like something needs to happen. Right. Yeah, something does need to happen. And and I think a few a few years from now, you know, things will and things have been happening and people have had that feeling like, whoa, whoa, what was that? Now they're waking up and you understand that this is no time to sit back and do anything. You don't want to look two, three years from now and, and complain about how things are, but you didn't partake in making sure that thing changed. You said about your role and the, the unique position you're in, being a sports personality, and I think, how important do you think it is that sports will get involved, but also, you know, how active are you in the locker room? You're talking about, I imagine, football, but how active are you talking to other players about this and getting them involved? Yeah, I think it's very important. It's, it's one area I think as athletes we don't truly understand, and I really, honestly, quite honestly, didn't understand just how far my reaches and how big my influence is I probably didn't realize that until this year when we got to go up to Capitol Hill and speak to members of Congress about you know uh, criminal justice reform and and they're listening to us about it and so you know if more players use their stage to and their platform to its uh, to its full potential I think it would help move the needle just a little bit and you know, we have these conversations in the locker room all the time, and, and guys are open enough to talk about it. But that's great to hear. Genuinely, yeah. I'm really pleased to hear that. Yeah. Now we got to get those conversations to get from behind the walls of our, you know, facilities and get out into the airways of the people. I mean, the season kicked off with a lot of furore, and it was a huge international story. Colin Kaepernick initially sitting, then kneeling after uh, discussing what would be more respectful, and then other players joining in. Whether it was kneeling during the anthem, whether it was, you know, raising the black power fist, whatever it might be I know Trump is a different situation to Black Lives Matters and I know that's something you've been involved in as well but you know players the fact that that's come out of the agenda is that disappointing to you that we've stopped talking about that so much as the year's gone on um no not really I mean I think like I said I, I think at this point in history you know, everybody has issues, whether you're African-American male, whether you're a woman, you're gay, you're immigrant, like, everybody has a struggle right now. And I think what we need to do is 
one, acknowledge everybody's struggle, understand uh, that everybody is going through something, um, and stand in solidarity together because it's okay for you to fight for you know, your rights, but that doesn't mean that you ignore someone else's. And I think that's where we've been up until this point is that if it's not our problem, then we don't get into it. But fortunate for America, Trump has kind of pissed everybody off at the same time. So you're seeing everybody really standing up for one another. And that's what we really need anyway, is be able to stand with and acknowledge people's, other people's struggle and fight for them the way you would want them to fight for you. It's a beautiful thing, Malcolm. That's what it is, a beautiful thing. Uh, I know you've got to get off. I know you're super popular today, got loads on. So let's finish off by talking a bit of football. This weekend's game, uh, the defensive side of the ball for both these teams is going to be key. How the Patriots stop Atlanta is insane. But I actually want to ask you about a player playing in Atlanta. It's Keanu Neal okay. playing in that cover three deep lying safety position. I have been so impressed with what he's done as the year's gone on. He feels like that guy fits into that Dan Quinn system perfectly. As a guy who plays the position, do you watch a lot of what's happening with other players in the position in the league? And is that something you've been impressed with? I do. I think. Um you know, when you're looking for the next step, how to add, you know, things to your game, you you look at guys who can do some things that you can't. And so uh, I usually look at, uh, you know, Earl Thomas, who's playing that deep safety, similar to it now. Dan Quinn brings that defense to Atlanta, and you're starting to see him flourish in that role. And so uh, he's a young player who's I think is coming on, and, and he'll be challenging or pushing for, you know, Pro Bowls and, and All Pros in the near future. Oh, he can come and ask you for some advice then, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, really great to catch up with you. Thank you for joining us on Radio Road. I appreciate it. Malcolm Jenkins, uh, Philadelphia Eagles, talking about Black Lives Matter, Will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would like your impressions of After well, Malcolm The problem Jenkins. is with that is that there's been a 10-minute gap between me making that mistake <laughs> and then people listening to Malcolm Jenkins and then you coming back... <laughs> God forbid a mistake from the broadcasting giant. No, no, that's, that's going, it's not to do with that. It's more the fact that without the frame of reference, people are going to be confused as to why you've made a big point of that, particularly after they've just heard quite a serious conversation. <laughs> but great. that's fine. It's a great that's point. Fine. I want your initial thoughts of Malcolm Jenkins. The guy is drunk! Malcolm Jenkins seemed absolutely <laughs> delightful. I was a big, big fan of his. And uh, I liked the fact that a player was willing to speak out about these issues. We talked about this when we were flying out here, Ollie, about whether or not we discuss, openly discussed Trump with the, the players and the coaches and everyone that was around Radio Row and whether it was something that we were willing to kind of have a, a conversation about because we didn't want to come in and feel like we were condescending Brits, particularly not that long after we voted as a nation for Brexit, even if no one at this table, I hope, look around, accusingly, voted for Brexit. No, I do. I hope that none of you voted for Brexit. I hope that anybody who did vote for breakfast... <laughs> I always vote for breakfast. <laughs> I vote for breakfast every single day yeah, of we, the week. We can say um, that um, I hope anybody who listens to this show who might have voted for Brexit for legitimate reasons gets in touch with us at Gridiron. Yeah, and tells us why, and, and good for you if that's what you felt. Let's was have the an right open decision. political discussion. I tell you what, though, um, I didn't vote for it, but good for you if you I, felt that that was the right call. T- we spoke to Jeremy Curley about it, and you'll hear that later on in this, the, in this off season, and he spoke re- really equivalent. equivalent <laughs> How many beers have I had? Eloquently, eloquently thank you. He spoke really eloquently about uh, Colin Kaepernick and it, his particular protest as well. <laughs> we Nat Coombs and I managed to speak to Michael Silver, who apologised on behalf of the American people to the world uh, about Trump and what the American people what the American people have done. So. 
He also revealed he was a Reading fan, Paolo Bandini. Oh. A good moment for me. So, I... When Paolo... A good moment for me when Ollie told me about it eight hours later before I got to talk to him about it. Thanks, Ollie. You're welcome. But it, but it is something that is within the consciousness of, I would say, all of the journalists here, all of the people that work on the radio stations, the TV stations. So it is something that's, that's clouding over everything else. But we're all getting along. Actually, it's rather British that we're all getting along. The other thing that Paolo mentioned was talking to coaches, getting into the minutiae, speaking about the X's and O's, and well, we spoke with, as Matt Cherry would call him, one of the most intelligent thinkers in the NFL game, one of the most knowledgeable men, Greg Cassell. This was really good fun, particularly early this morning, getting to talk some proper football. So this is the great man himself from NFL Films, Greg Cassell. A man that Matt Sherry just described as one of the most knowledgeable men in the NFL and one of our favourite people to talk to over the last two years on Radio Row and back again this year, the great Greg Cosell. Greg, thank you for coming down and, uh, and speaking with us. Gentlemen, it's good to be with you guys. I see you've partaken in the, uh, the, the low-calorie uh, breakfast that they're serving. I've managed to partake in two whole yeah, bites of it. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and there's no calories in any of that stuff, by the way. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Probably is, less is that true? Yeah. Really? You didn't know that? <laughs> Uh, Greg, there's obviously a huge amount for us to get into with the game this weekend, and I think the game. Oh, there's a game. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, to be honest, though, we were, I was talking with somebody about this this morning. Yesterday, I was it hadn't really registered with me that actually we're only four days away from the Super Bowl. I know it's yeah. It, I, if there's something before we get into all the minutiae that's really stood out to you that maybe we're not talking about at the moment, maybe there's a that's a bad question. <laughs> <laughs> you mean in terms of the, the game itself, like yeah, the X's uh, and O's yeah. element of the we game? We want to get into X's and O's, Greg. Well, that's let me ask you a question. For. Have you guys talked much at all about the running backs in this game as receivers? Yeah, I'd, I'd, to me, that's the absolute key to the game. I and, think that's a critical piece of this game. Running backs as receivers and moving people, the yeah, and, and them in motion on the and line. And then you get into personnel packages and alignments because we know that Coleman and Freeman for Atlanta can pretty much line up anywhere. They can detach from the formation, be split, but they can do that at a base personnel. They can do that at a three wide. And then you get into the personnel package element and how Bill Belichick will choose to match up based on the personnel. I think that's critical on that side. And I really think when you play the Patriots, you have to be able to match up to James White as a receiver. He may not play that many snaps, but the reality is, as a receiver, he is really a tough matchup. Now, for a guy that doesn't play many snaps, he had the third most receiving targets of any back in the league after David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. Wow. Think about that. For a guy that probably didn't play 40% of the snaps, if you, and I don't know the answer to that, but I mean, my guess is that's probably the case. And you mean you don't have it in a notebook? I, I don't. Not, not that particular <laughs> one. And no, no. <laughs> but you have to be able to match up to James White as a as a receiver, and he's particularly good when the Patriots, by tendency, feel that the defense is playing man, and normally it's a linebacker. And I think uh, that matchup of James White and Deion Jones in this game is a very intriguing one. Uh, what interests me is the Patriots' defense second half of the season, in particular, has been outstanding, but. I haven't seen a lot of offensive minds other than maybe Adam Gaze in Miami at the end of the season who who have the, the kind of offensive system whereby they're able to look at the Patriots' defence and think, 
covering running backs is a problem. The middle of the field immediately right. is a problem. How do we attack that? We know Kyle Shanahan is going to do that. How significant an impact do you think that will have on the game? Well, Matthew, I think that's, you know, as I said, we don't know how that will play out, but I think that's a very intriguing chess match element of this game. I mean, White is really their receiving back. Because think of it this way. When the Patriots played Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game, they came out with what we call 10 personnel, one back and four wide receivers, Mm -hmm. 19 snaps. White was the back on all 19 of those plays. And keep in mind, as I said, they did that for 19 snaps. They had only done that personnel package 10 times all year prior to that game. So that was something they did specifically for Pittsburgh, knowing Bill Belichick, hey, you might not see that at all this week. But the larger point is that James White is really their receiving back. He's the back they feel can best win matchups against linebackers. And I think how that matchup plays out, we went back as we prepared uh, to do our NFL matchup show, which airs on Sunday. Um, We went back and took a look at Deion Jones throughout the season matching up to backs, and he had some success, and other times he struggled. He struggled against Darren Sproles. A lot of people struggle against Darren Sproles. But so I think, you know, again, we don't know the result, but I think that's a very intriguing matchup. Definitely an area to focus on. Greg, let me ask you about something that... I don't feel like we've been able to talk about this with a huge amount of people this week. The importance of the fullbacks this weekend. Both teams use them. A lot. I mean, look... It's funny you mention that because uh, Atlanta, their primary run formation was out of two backs with DeMarco. And in fact, during the regular season, they had 155 runs out of two back sets with DeMarco. It was the largest number of runs out of any personnel package for Atlanta. And they averaged five yards per carry on those 155 rushes. So clearly the two back set with DeMarco is a strong part of what they do, and they're very good at it. I, I look at the um, the game against Denver, Greg, the New England game, and and what, what New England were able to do in terms of shutting down that offense, which the, the outside zone is obviously still the foundation of this Falcons offense. In this game, they're going to have to play nickel the majority of the game just because of the plethora of passing weapons. I think Malcolm Brown and Alan Branch inside have been really underrated guys for the Patriots this year, but do you see those guys and Dante Hightower holding up in the run game when, it, when it's in nickel. Because you would think if, if New England show Kyle Shanahan that look, he's going to have to try and run the ball on that, on that package as often as they can. Well, all we have is what we've seen up to this point with Bill Belichick. And what they've played a lot of against base personnel is what we call big nickel with three safeties. Patrick Chung is essentially a linebacker. Now, Obviously, Atlanta can run the ball out of base personnel with a fullback or with two tight ends or even three tight ends. They'll run the ball out of three wide. That will change the personnel packages for Bill Belichick. So that's another intriguing part of this game. Uh, and, And the other part that goes with that is how will Belichick choose tactically to defend the run? I'm not talking personnel. I'm talking whether he feels that he needs to play with two deep safeties, in which case... Will he feel he can stop the run with seven in the box? Or will he feel that he'll play single high and take his chances at times on the outside and 
play with eight in the box. That, that to me, is another intriguing element to this game. We, we had an interesting conversation with Vance Joseph, former Broncos yep. wide receiver yesterday, who uh, he said something that I've not really heard a huge amount before from receivers, but he said that he claimed that double-teaming a receiver for him isn't really a thing. He said, if I play one of the corners or safeties and I specifically play that man and I beat that man, there's nothing the other guy can do about it. Do you think that double-teaming Julio Jones is a direction that the Patriots should focus on, will focus on? Because it feels like well, when teams have done that this year, there's so much else there. It's not. You have to define double-teaming. If you're playing with two deep safeties, what we call split safety, that's not a true double-team. Yes, there's a safety over the top, but it's not a strict double-team. Now, we have seen the Patriots do what we call dedicated double-teams, where they clearly have a safety dedicated to helping the corner. That's his role. In fact, we saw that when they played A.J. Green week five, and, and, and which gets to another point. See, there's so many offshoots here, which makes this game <laughs> fascinating. Is, and we're happy to explore all yeah, of them, Greg. Malcolm <laughs> Butler, in, in my view, will not match up to Julio Jones. He's Ma- going to get Taylor Malcolm, surely. Mal- yes, Malcolm Butler does not match up to big physical wideouts. So when they play man, I think what you're going to see is either Eric Rowe or Logan Ryan with help, however you want to define that help, with help. <laughs> and I think that the other one, either Rowe or Ryan, will then play Sanu. And I think that uh, Malcolm Butler, quite honestly, will play Gabriel, Robinson, Hardy, whoever the third wide receiver happens to be. But I don't think you'll see Malcolm Butler match up man-to-man on Julio Jones. Uh, what interests me is I think that they signed Eric Rowe in the offseason specifically for this reason, to, to, as a guy who can match up against bigger receivers. But... I guess the other problem Atlanta causes, they've got two of those guys in, in Jones and Sanu, bigger guys, so it's, it's kind of picking your poison there, I guess. Yeah, but Sanu does not have the vertical ability of Jones. That's the thing. And I'm not saying that means he's not good, but obviously with Julio, I mean, Julio's ability to, to run after catch is so good. And, and what Julio is so good at and what they do with him is he's, he's what we call an outside-in receiver. He runs a lot of in-breaking type routes and catches the ball on the move. And I think one coverage you could well see, and it's part of the Patriots' web repertoire, is what we call one robber, where you have a deep safety, but then you have the, another safety who sort of sits in the middle of the field. It's, and he's, he's the robber or the lurk defender. And I think that's one coverage that you will see situationally because Julio is just so good running those in-breaking routes, which is hot, why it's so hard when teams play zone concepts and the mm-hmm. corners are what we call outside leverage players. When he breaks inside with his size and speed, he runs away from people. And, and I think we saw that with Richard Sherman in the Seahawks game. He, he breaks, seems to break in deep as well. Like when we think of breaking routes, personally, I you know, think of slants, I think of yeah, those kind of posts, but actually they go digs, really deep digs. with them. Digs, sorry, digs, yeah, and they yeah. go very deep with them, which yeah. is something I don't see a huge amount of in the league, but against those. Yeah, and, and that, that's where Julio is really, really good. And those are t- Matt Ryan is a timing thrower. I mean, I don't know how much historically you guys are aware with the league but you can almost go back to Kurt Warner with the greatest show on turf throwing those deep digs to Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and he threw them with such incredible anticipation he would throw he would release the football before those guys came out of their breaks you know before they even started their break sometimes so Matt's very good at that but you're really going to try to take that away I think Bill will have a specific plan Bill Belichick that is a specific plan Again, it's all personnel-based. It's all down-and-distance-based. It's all field-location-based because nothing's 100%. It's a game of tendency and probability. 
So Bill will, in certain situations, will do things to take away what he believes will be the tendency to throw the ball to Julio Jones. So, I mean, if somebody is maybe less X's and O's based and they're watching the game at home and they're seeing the first, first Falcons drive, say they get the ball first, what are you looking for in the Patriots' defense in terms of where they're lining up well, no, to see how they're going to... I would put it on the other side. I would say what I'd be looking for from the Falcons' offense is different personnel packages on every play for a number of plays, different formations on every play to probe Belichick and to see how he's going to match up to all these personnel packages and all these formations. So Kyle Shanahan can probe the defense, research the defense, and then understand, hey, when I play with two tight ends in this formation, here's what they're doing. So when I come back to that in the third quarter, I, I'll have a good feel for what I'm going to get. So I see it more that way. Great. The, the, um, what interests me as well is the Patriots obviously led the NFL in scoring this year. Obviously, a lot of that was that they had the 32nd ranked schedule by all metrics, so the schedule was was favourable. But even so, it was it, it was still a good unit, and it's so different to the Denver defense from last oh, year. Oh yes. H- how do you rate the defense? To me, they're just very sound. The tackle great. Yep. And and they're just so. There's three, three leading tacklers who are defensive backs. Yeah. I think that they're your classic case of a defense that plays with great discipline, great understanding of their responsibilities. Um, they're not a big-time pass rush unit, uh, but Bill will selectively blitz based on down and distance. That's what he does, but he's not a high-percentage blitzer. Um, you know, Bill kind of believes, and this is the, the, the shortened version, but he believes in taking away what he thinks is your biggest threat and not giving up big explosive plays. So that's sort of the way he thinks about, you know, in a very broad sense. Um, but you're right. Um, it's not a big-time pass rush unit. They, they don't go after the quarterback with a lot of pressure. And, and uh, on the other side of the ball, New England, to me, to me, I have concerns from a Falcons perspective about the youth on that defense. I could see the Patriots getting three or four huge players from play action with guys over-pursuing. Do, do you, can you see it being a situation where Brady stood at the line, he kind of knows what they're, what they're doing, as he often does, and the Falcons really struggle to, to get the matchups there? And, Matthew, that's a great point because we all know that when Brady feels that he knows what the defense is before the snap, that's when he's at his best. I mean, theoretically, that helps any quarterback, but he's a master at it. And quite honestly, the Falcons, while I think their defense has clearly improved as the years gone on, because they're starting three rookies, obviously, um, I think what... Um, what they essentially have done this year is play what we call single high safety coverages. Either cover three, which is the zone portion of that, or cover one or man free, which is the man version of that. That's been their predominant you know, coverage. And if they're going to line up consistently in single high, I think Brady will feel pretty comfortable before the snap of the ball. Now, then you get into Dan Quinn, who's, hey, this is his third Super Bowl. He understands the preparation. He's not going to dramatically change what he does, but maybe there's, again, getting down to situationally, maybe there's a few right. tweaks. Because all it takes in a game like that, theoretically, is a couple of those plays. That's put out in the head. Th- yeah, and, and all of a sudden maybe you get a pick or you get a sack, and, and it just, you know, in a close game, those are factors. Uh, I'm intrigued from a personnel perspective on that Falcons defense, because you mentioned the, the cover three, the single high, and so much of what the Seahawks did was based on the same scheme with Dan Quinn. But he's played a lot more man yeah, coverage yeah, in Seattle. Yeah, does, yeah, absolutely. But I'm wondering, bringing in particularly Keanu Neal and the speed of Deion Jones, those seem to be two guys that fit what he did so well. That well, it's, he's looking for the Seattle 
template. I mean, Deion Jones is Bobby Wagner. Devondre Campbell is K.J. Wright with the length. And Keanu Neal is, is Cam Chancellor. It's the Seattle profile, the Seattle template. Um, so that's really, you know, that's the defense he coaches, just like he likes long corners. Jalen Collins is not the player Richard Sherman is, obviously, but he's 6'1", six, 6'1 one, six, one He's long. He's athletic. Whatever he becomes, we don't know, but he fits that same kind of mold. And I just want to get back to we mentioned the Patriots pass rush. Do, do you think that they need to scheme up a little bit more than they usually do? Are you, that, that they're so... That those ends you can see are so obsessed with setting the edges. I think sometimes it detracts from what they do as pass rushers, but other times that they need to kind of take their chances and try and get some pressure on Ryan, do you think? Well, that'll be interesting because, again, Atlanta's offense is very structured, very timing, rhythm-based. Um, when they take their shots, again, it's, it's usually what we call max protection. You know, they're not a deep drop passing game in the sense that they're going to protect with five and, and Matt Ryan's going to drop seven steps. They don't do a lot of that. So that's a great point. That gets to what their front will be. They've played a particular front in, over the last two months that's sort of become their foundation staple front where it's that sort of five across look yeah. and they have the... Malcolm Brown, it's usually Malcolm Brown and uh, Flowers kind of reduced to what we call three techniques, and they have the two outside linebackers on the line of scrimmage. It's almost a, you know, it's a five across type look. The question is, will they stay with that or will Bill in this game maybe to stop the outside zone, go with a little more of a, of, um, a four-man front with a little more of the, the wide nine ends to sort of take care of the, the outside zone? You know, so the, these are all this is why it's great to talk about yeah. because it's, it's just a great chess match. Yeah, that's what was fascinating to me. You saw that the Chiefs against the Steelers in the fourth quarter suddenly cottoned on to that. Put five on the line and get those single matchups on the offensive right. line. That works. And it's what the Patriots do so well. But, yeah, I'm, that's f- going to be fascinating to see how they handle that because I think for your perspective, I'm, uh, Matt is a Patriots fan. <laughs> I, am con- I am concerned about that. But on the other side, I was praising the, the quality of those young players, but I, it just feels to me like... Falcons are maybe a step too early to stop. Bill Belichick's so good at getting matchups, and we saw it against right. the Seahawks in '49. You know, you saw the moment that Gronkowski split out for that touchdown. You went, well, KJ Wright went on. Why aren't you going to it? But I think Dan Quinn is going to learn from that, and I, I think that look, we don't have Gronk in this game. Bennett can still do that. Uh, maybe not quite the same as Gronk, but Bennett can detach from the formation and he can run. So we'll see how, you know, if Dan Quinn, you know play some things a little differently depending on situation and and how do you see the game going overall i mean we've kind of got into all of the matches well i'm not a good matthew i'm not a good prognosticator (laughs) 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 then i'll just be you know throwing it against the wall so to speak uh you know and i think a lot of people are going to focus on what they view as intangibles which of course is the patriots having been there and uh, you know, to them, the environment will will not be initially overwhelming, which it could be. Again, I, I, I can't speak to that. I always, when I'm on shows with ex-players who've been in Super Bowls, I, I ask them that because I know that that can be overwhelming. I remember doing an interview years ago with Troy Aikman for a film I did at NFL Films, and he told me in his first Super Bowl in 1992, the first series he was hyperventilating and could hardly get the play call out. So, I mean, that's, I think... No one can answer that. You know, I don't, I don't know what kind of factor that is. I can't answer that. On that very point, Ron Jaworski is going to come down and sit at this desk tomorrow afternoon. You work with oh, him. Oh, is he? Absolutely. He's one of my best friends. So what do we ask? Don't uh, ask yours? him about the 1980 Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask him about that. 
I'll make sure to say that. Greg told us to ask you about yes. the 1980 <laughs> Super Bowl. You, you can tell him that, uh, that I told you that I'm responsible for everything he does well. <laughs> uh, Greg, uh, finally, because we can't have you on as a member of the British media without talking about Led Zeppelin. Oh, <laughs> that's correct. I, d I don't think we ever got an answer out of you last time when we asked what you did about your favorite know? Zeppelin album. I think you named about four and then left. Well, I can give you my two favorite Zeppelin songs, which, of course, you know, then we're just picking the best of the best, okay, <laughs> because there's... But, you know, it's funny, the Physical Graffiti double album was sort of a little later in their career, and for a lot of people who are more casual Zeppelin fans, they don't know a lot of the songs on that album. Are you guys big Zeppelin fans, by the way? I'm more of a casual Zeppelin fan, big enough that I would know... Do you know the song Ten Years Gone? I do, yeah. Okay, that's, one of, that's right there for me. It's and going on the car playlist, Cherry. <laughs> and, and of Greg course... Cassell recommended Ten Years Gone. And of course on Zepp 1, which to me is still, you know, because that was such a great album, uh, Dazed and Confused to me is just an all-time classic. Absolutely. I mean, Love that. Yeah. Greg Cassell. Where can people see you this week, follow you, hear from you, uh, other than right here? There, oh, well, I'm just... I'm just walking around trying to pretend I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Brilliant. That could be a time. <laughs> the great man himself, Greg Cassell. I really, I really like the Ollie picking up off the back of interviews. <laughs> this is a new thing, and I'm in full support. I, didn't not, I, I did not get to listen to this interview, but... Um, <laughs> How do you feel about that, Ollie? You know, I was pretty gutted about it, actually. Uh, I didn't hear Delaney Walker, who we will hear later on. But Matt Sherry... Can you tell me what you thought was the most interesting point that Greg Cassell said? I can, um, and it was one that Will repeated on the NFL show, which is, I'm not saying as a criticism, but it's that... Um, oh, about 90% of this job is repeating what more intelligent people than me say, so that's fine. You did credit Greg Cassell yeah, on the did, NFL. Yeah, I did actually, yes, it, so it there was, we go. So was, that's unusual. It was... That he, <laughs> <laughs> it was, just to watch out early in the game, he feels that... It, Kyle Shanahan and Atlanta need to throw a lot of formational diversity at New England early in the game. And rather than seeing that how the Patriots react to Atlanta, he wants to see how Atlanta tries to figure out what the Bill Belichick game plan is and how they adjust from there. And that's an interesting point because we usually think of it as the other way around, don't we? How a defence reacts to an offence. But in fact, he suggested that they could flip that script by being diverse with formations and play calls early on. And I'm, I'm now going to be looking for that when the game starts. And as a Patriots fan, and as Greg Rosenthal said, one of the most knowledgeable people he's ever heard at all. <laughs> I'm not sure that's exactly what he said. Well, I'm paraphrasing. What do you make of that? Do you think that's something that could happen? or? Well, as one of the most knowledgeable people that Greg Rosenthal's <laughs> ever met, I, I do think that that could happen. If, if Greg Cosell says it, it will happen. Okay. Cool. So yeah, even, even though much of that Greg Cosell interview was him saying, "We don't know what's going to happen," and that's what the joy of this is. But here's what's exciting about it, and that I, I really enjoyed that. And I think what we'll do is when you guys are back on Saturday night slash Sunday morning, we might do a little just full on hard half an hour long yeah. X's and O's chat like we did on the talk show. Sorry, do our picks. You're going to do a full on hard half an hour long. Yeah, finish it. Don't that's, that's all I've got to say about that. Thanks. Cheers, buddy. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we will get into all of that as the week goes on. And uh, We've got some great interviews lined up, not only this week, but also this weekend, because Saturday night we're going to be heading down to uh, the, uh, well, well, we uh, could, the Lee we Steinberg could party. Tease that. 
Oh, well, okay, we'll tease it. We've got some great interviews coming at the Lee Steinberg party. Oh, so I'll watch tell you out what, for those. We really do. We have some epic interviews coming. That's incredible. Uh, we have a, at least one current Hall of Famer, maybe two. We've we got a, a current NFL head coach. We've got a, a wide receiver. Yeah. That'll do. We've got a potential first round pick. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day overall. But let's hear some of the highlights of the stuff uh, from people that we talked to this today on Radio Row. And let's start off with Mark Wilf, because the uh, co-owner and president of the Minnesota Vikings came and joined us. And it, I think you mentioned this. Uh, he came in, into Radio Row and he literally did Sky and he came over and did us and then he seemed to leave. So I think he was just here to do UK media. Team obviously coming over to play in the UK next season. And we talked about that and plus all the other issues currently involving the owners. This is Mark Wilf the owner and co-owner and president of the Minnesota Vikings. Great stuff. So, delighted to be... Make sure you've got your pins. No, these are for you. Oh, oh wow, yes. Super Bowl 52. It's for next year already. Year. Excellent. <laughs> Look, we're going to talk next about... year's this year on Monday. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit of Super Bowl 52 as well. Okay. We're currently catching up with the co-owner, president of the Minnesota Vikings, Mark Wilf, down on Radio Rowan. Well, before anything else, Mark... How are you enjoying this year so far? So far, so good. I mean, uh, obviously, it'd be a little better if we were in the game, but uh, the Super Bowl is always a fantastic experience. And uh, obviously, a little better if you're in the game, but a little better if it was in Minnesota. Oh, no, wait, it is going to be next year. Well, not only being in Minnesota, but maybe we'll uh, play in it as well to get the double, double dip. First, it would be the first team to ever host and be in it, so that would be incredible. Uh, I want to start off by asking about coming over to London again next year. Uh, when it was announced back in December... Yeah, it's fair to say the whole Vikings administration seemed delighted to be coming back over the pond. Absolutely. We, uh, we loved our experience there three years ago. And Number one, we came away with a win. But more importantly, uh, we really are supportive of the league growing the game in the UK. And uh, we're excited to be there. This time we'll be going as a, a, a visiting team. But I know our fans are going to be out in full force uh, somehow or another and be uh, supportive of us. I know you say you're supportive of the growth of the game in the UK. In the owners' meetings, is this the feeling of all 32 owners? Are we at the point where we've got round support for what they're doing in the UK? I think it's, it's all 32. I don't see any sense that anyone's saying this isn't a good thing it's great game and we want to grow the game and uh, our, our efforts there have proven out to be where uh, it has moved up in popularity among the UK fans it's right up there I mean it's not going to be uh, uh, the, uh, the Premier League yet but uh, we're making great inroads and it's a great game obviously um, this season you guys when the trade for Sam Bradford happened, there was that big thing about the fact that you felt like you were just a quarterback away and you didn't want to let an opportunity slip by and started the season brilliantly. Um, how do you reflect on the season with the way it ended and, and certainly the way it ended where it seemed to be some division between players and coaches? Is there work to do in the off-season to, to kind of rectify some of that? Well, there's really no division between players and coaches. That whole thing was completely overblown and we're all past that. Uh, obviously, a disappointing season for ourselves and our organization and most importantly for our fans, especially with the start we had. But, you know, Teddy going down was a tremendous blow. Uh, we still feel great about the trade we made. Uh, it was a high price to pay, but Sam Bradford's an outstanding quarterback. He proved that coming in with a week or two notice and starting week two, hitting the ground running, and uh, he did a great job. Completion percentage, uh, uh, being someone the team really believes in, and uh, we can win with Sam Bradford. And look, I think anyone who gives that trade any stick at this point, and I was a big fan of it at the time, I thought it was the right move and other injuries maybe cost the team, but 
anyone who's doubting it, the fact that we're now seeing that it's unlikely that Teddy will be back and ready for the start of this next season just shows what value it was. Well, Teddy's injury was, uh, you know, such a great kid, Teddy, but and I, I wouldn't count him out at all. He's rehabbing hard, working hard, but that was factoring into why we made that trade because it wasn't just an ACL. It was a little more, it was a very serious injury, and uh, we still don't know what 17 is going to be like, and uh, we need to make sure we recover to that position either way. The, the, the thing with that great start to the season and, and that defence which is still really young all the pieces are still there it was mainly the offensive line that seemed to be the problem I guess you guys still feel that, that if anything the 5-6-0 start showed you can be one of the elite teams in the NFL and, and with the right moves in the off season you could easily be hosting the Super Bowl and playing in the Super Bowl next year Well you look at the Atlanta Falcons are here and last year's uh, their story was they were 5-0 and and they faded down the stretch so there's no reason that we can't come back the NFL is a uh, uh, turns on a dime very often and I know uh, Rick Spielman our GM and coach Zimmer are working very hard to make sure we fix those uh, areas where we didn't have the depth and where and listen we had injuries but that's part of the game uh, so we got to make sure we get our depth better built through the draft and do all things that are uh, needed to get us to the championship and look I've got to tell you we had three of your guys over for the NFL UK tour recently we had Eric Kendricks Harrison Smith and Anthony Barr and we got to sit down with them for half an hour and, and talk football and every player in that team seems positive about what they're doing they're obviously gutted and de- sorry that's devastated in English for, uh, for what happened this year but, but it seems like there's some real positivity a lot of positivity. We got to get some offensive players in that mix. So we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get a nice balanced attack for everybody next year. And uh, those are great guys. And our, our players are very supportive of the UK. We had a tremendous fan rally in Regent uh, Park there, and the, yep. and it went three years ago. It was one of the experiences of my life to see the th- hundreds of thousands of fans coming out to support football. It was really cool. There's been some great things. I Headingley Cricket Ground hosted um, Harrison Smith and. Um, and a couple of other it was John Sullivan at the time the centre there's been I think the Vikings more than any other team have interacted brilliantly with the UK when you guys have been around and I'd be intrigued to know have you had a chance to see Twickenham yet have you got out to the the home of rugby no but I know Coach Zimmer and our defence you know a little bit of a scrum there would be pretty good <laughs> so we're all about defence and being tough and uh, we're looking forward to a new venue Wembley was great uh, like I said the fans come out and the Viking fans especially are outstanding we're in a bit of an interesting period of transition in the NFL overall right now I mean, the growth of the game in the UK is great as far as we're concerned, but we're now at a stage where it's looking like three teams are going to have moved within a very short space of time, and right now the Raiders' possible move to Vegas is up in the air. What's the sense right now about that move for the Raiders, particularly amongst their owners' room and then the conversations you're having with other executives and owners around the league? Well, we really haven't had a chance yet to discuss with other owners as far as the latest developments. I know there have been some developments the last day or two. Uh, listen, it's something I know the league and our bylaws are very strict in terms of making sure before uh, a stadium solution is not worked out and a team relocates that they're very careful about it because we don't like seeing teams uh, move from cities. Unfortunately, uh, things did not work out in St. Louis or San Diego, And uh, but I think the flip side of it is in L.A., uh, the, those teams will be successful. And as far as the Raiders, uh, still haven't seen a proposal yet formally and haven't seen where the dust has settled on the latest news yet. I mean, I think on that very point you said about St. Louis and San Diego, I think when the St. Louis move happened, there was a, an acceptance that that was going to happen away 
away in advance but actually San Diego I still feel like even now with everything that's happened people still want a team in San Diego both locally and nationally and internationally they do it's a great city it's a great market we, we ourselves do business there and I know for the Spanos family and, and knowing Dean and how their family feels about it I mean this was a painful thing to move a team out of a city and uh, he struggled a great deal with it and I know he and the league uh, made a lot of effort uh, to make sure that uh, they could try to make a solution happen. I mean, we were very fortunate in Minnesota uh, that we worked out a public-private partnership with the state of Minnesota, the city of Minneapolis, roughly 50-50 uh, in terms of putting a building together and creating a lot of economic development. So uh, I think our fans have been the beneficiaries of a, of a, of a great partnership there. Not every, every stadium solution and every stadium situation is different, so it depends. And from what I've heard, what a stadium yeah. it is and the host of 52. We're, we're excited to be out there next year. Maybe not for being outside of the media centre or outside of the stadium, but as long as we can be inside plenty, we're, we're gonna, really looking forward to it. Well, we're going to have some great, great festivities, 10-day festival, winter. Embrace the cold. It's the bold north. Come on out. You know, we're going to have a 10-day winter festival. We're going to have ice bars, snowmobiling, all these cool things. And the state of Minnesota, the people there are very warm and welcoming. Indianapolis, the Midwest, always does a great job when we host the Super Bowl. So, and if, if it's too cold for you, we got 10 miles of skyways for you. <laughs> and most importantly, we have, we think, the best sporting venue in the world at U.S. Bank Stadium. So I hope people get to see it. If they're not, they're going to see it on TV. It's a special place that we can't wait to host the world for Super Bowl 52. I thoroughly enjoyed that chat, Sherry. And I, I thought it was, it was interesting because there was obviously some stuff that you, we could have gotten a lot more depth with. But it's fascinating to hear that he was as negative over the fact that there's all these moves happening on the West Coast as everyone else seems to be. And that the owners, he's claiming the owners don't want this to happen. But I, what I don't understand is if they don't want this to happen... There's a lot Stop of talk going about, well, there's a, Exactly. There's a lot of talk about the Raiders going to San Diego now. This is the new thing over the last two days. And the fact, the fact of the matter is, the reason that's suddenly become a thing is because the Raiders have some private financial backing. So suddenly they're like, oh, yeah, let's build a new stadium in San Diego because we're going to get a little bit of the money. And he talks about the fact that they managed to agree on a private, public... He, I liked how he kind of slightly dodged it by saying roughly 50-50 deal between the two of them. But... It would infuriate me if a new stadium gets built in San Diego and we have the LA Chargers and the San Diego Raiders. It's just senseless, isn't it? It's the most ridiculous thing that I think any of us have heard in a long time. And and, and really, one of the things I, w- I would have liked to have got to in the interview, but we, we didn't have that kind of time, was I think a big theme from the Roger Goodell press conference afterwards was that the increasing disconnect between NFL fans and NFL teams and and I think Roger Goodell's a big problem within that in that he stands on the podium and I mean he turned up without a tie on yesterday to, as if to say hi guys <laughs> I'm very, informal Roger I'm very accessible but I'm going to talk to you in platitudes Engaged, to informal Roger yeah it's just <laughs> and, and I mean I think that that <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, th- I think the I think the, the, are they booing me? <laughs> the the reality the reality booerns. The, the reality is that these moves are, are an increasing part of that. I mean, I think we could all get on board with moving back to Los Angeles, but what what's going on right now is an actual farce, and not enough people are really. It, it's sort of accepted as being normal and. 
and and acceptable. It's, it's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. And it's kind of bringing down a sport that certainly the four men at this table love, and a lot of people here in the radio row love, and a lot of people across the whole of the world love, particularly here in the states, but beyond as well. And uh, the fact is, is that. If we want to legitimately have a team in London, if that comes in four years' time off the back of three of the teams moving in the previous years, it'll suddenly feel like a lot less of a solid thing because it's come as part of a big change in the NFL rather than one move specifically to get a team into London. And, uh, you know, you can debate whether you're pro the team in London or not, but I think it is coming. I think it will happen. And if it comes now that we're going to have three other team moves first it's not good Uh, well I really agree with that because when you have fans just won't buy into the product anymore if teams are constantly moving the same teams get going keep going to the Super Bowl other teams keep getting into the playoffs it, it ends up it ends up being obvious and predictable and in the end that's not a product that the NFL wants it's not a product that fans want on, on a more positive note, I'm pretty sure that this is the introductory plot to the movie Basketball with uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. And that's actually, a great movie. That's a great movie, so if that's the way we're headed, I'm not sad about it. In that situation, who squeak? Don't point at Ollie <laughs> and then make a, a movie as if to say, shrug and say, obviously. Well, I mean, this is a size issue. Squeak is smaller than everyone else. And Ollie, I love you, Ollie, but you are the smallest man at this table. I mean, I never suggested anyone at this table was part of it. I was thinking oh, okay. more like Roger Goodell was... <laughs> you were out of order, Paolo. Was, was Trey Parker. <laughs> one of the worst things you've ever done. Jerry Jones was maybe master. <laughs> and given that he's managed to bully his way into a... F- private bedroom on Saturday it's a pretty big list right now Ollie it's, am- it's amazing from the man who's had the private bed his whole week <sighs> and, 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 and routine I'm sure that the run. listeners are really keen to hear this story to be yeah. fair who would want to share with a man with horrendous IBS <laughs> <laughs> everything about this has gone horribly wrong I yeah. kind of I, we thought I think we were going to bring the Delaney Walker interview in this episode but we've gone kind of long and actually a lot of it is post Super Bowl stuff so let's save it Let's save Delaney Walker. Let's bring it to you next week. We've got so many good interviews coming for you up over the next few days. Tomorrow we're going to be getting pretty rookie-centric, speaking particularly with Patrick Mahomes, Texas Tech quarterback. He's Mahomes. Looks like he might go, Mahomes. He's Mahomes. Nice. But we have got quite a few questions and comments on Twitter. So let's get to them. And I want to start off with Craig Leddington, because Craig Leddington asks a key, I think important, vital, and particularly strong football question. He asks, has Sherry bought Ollie the lost bet meal yet? That's a great point. No, you have not. I offered to pay for the one in the steakhouse. Yeah, it wasn't. No, not in the steakhouse you did. That's absolute. That is a farce. And you are a liar. You know that's not right. I offered you the money the next day. No, not the next. You've got to pay for it there and then. I don't think there's going to be an opportunity to do it unless you come to Austin tomorrow. I'm not coming to Austin. Craig Leddington, it's a valid point. I'm glad you brought it up. And now it's going to cause some consternation for the next couple of days, I imagine. Matthew Perks says, if for nothing more than pure entertainment, can we get Galand on the podcast? No. Fine. There we go. <laughs> the editor of Gridiron has put his stamp down. Now, if we can get him, we will. Jason Coe has just said, great interview with Mike Haynes. What a legend. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I loved the beginning bit of it. Wasn't it great? I loved the whole thing, but the beginning bit with his son signing for the college team was fantastic. Yeah. John Butler, just a shout out to him. He's only discovered the show this week and uh, he's enjoying our Super Bowl 51 coverage. You're a disgrace, Good mate. Good stuff. 
you, 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 to be fair, you should have. You, yeah, where have you been? And well do done. you do you read the magazine as well, John Butler? If not, you're a disgrace. A complete another. Right. I really hope John. Liam, Butler if you're not going to have a microphone on, please don't talk. <laughs> it makes for terrible, terrible audio. I really um, hope John Butler's not like an American who takes everything you say first at face value because the amount of times I've put my foot in it this week is not great. Tom Marshall has uh, just said great news for us UK Cardinals fans. Larry Fitzgerald has confirmed he's coming back next season and will be playing at Twickenham as a Cardinal in 2017. I think it's great news that Cardinals fans in the UK is now a plural word. That's great news. Oh, I feel like a so. lonely man previously. It's so boring. This I was there the first. You went. They've always been well supported. The Cardinals have always been well supported. Yeah. Oh, but I was there first. I'm a real. Fan. What I really hate is those people that jump on. Ooh, what is it called, Willie? Uh, Patriots bandwagon. Uh, there he is, Matt Sherry. Patriots bandwagon, bandwagoning all the way to Houston. The dancing isn't particularly good for the podcast, but we've got some music, some time. Now, I need to know this this final tweet, because we're going to skip over some, because we've gone long and there's some people waiting for us down in Starbucks, and it is now half ten at night. Kobe Buffalo Meat. Buffalo Meat. Is that a real player? Is Kobe Buffalo Meat the greatest ever football player name? And if not, what is? Hashtag tell TGS Alan Hazley. He's an Illinois State prospect. Kobe Buffalo Meat. Really? That is a name. Yeah, I, it really is. I always thought Barkevius Mingo was the best player to play in the NFL. In the NFL, yeah. But I mean, his brother, I mean, if, we, if we're counting non NFL, his brother did also. Hutavius Mingo. Which is even better. But I can't. I mean, if on, Kobe Buffalo meat makes it into the NFL, that might be the yeah. best NFL name. Especially ever. if he plays for the Bills. Yeah. This is incredible. He's an offensive lineman, six foot seven, 285 pounds. Out of Kansas, Lawrence, Kansas. He's a vegetarian. <laughs> no, he's <isn't. laughs> not. that's the funniest thing you've said today. Everything I say is funny. I'm not sure that's true. Ollie's literally just been on the floor. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't intentional, though, was it? Yeah, it was my comment. Okay. What was it, Ollie, the comment? I don't know, remember. Ollie, what it, was I it? I think it was you snorting. Who the water the, went down the wrong it way. It was the water going down the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Who was the comment on it, Ollie? How funny was it? It was really funny. When the water dip went down the wrong way. You can't make me go again. I'm really trying to push it. <laughs> you can't. I'm really trying to make you remember Let's it. have it's more idle chat while the guys waited. <laughs> Just looking at the timestamps on the messages <laughs> saying, where are we going? It's been a right. really long time. <laughs> We've really got to wrap up the show. So let's wrap up the show. Let's stop talking. Uh, and let's play mine and Ollie's favourite song from, bizarrely, the, uh, the game tonight. Oh, no, it didn't work. Because I didn't have the channel up. There we go. Ollie just sit for us. Come to the pod. Come to the Super Bowl. Go to touchdown trips. This is the Red Show. Ollie, take it away. You also have to can this laughter track from Ollie's. It's the best thing I've ever heard. Right. Now I'm going to play you 
after all of this. His mic is so far away from his face. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So that was laughing for a solid minute. What am I actually going to do? I'm going to edit that out of the podcast, but at the end of the show, I'm going to put that full that full giggle fest in in full because that was incredible. Festival, Betway are giving you the chance to win £50,000 in the free-to-play for-to-win game. Head to Betway.com to play now. Up next, more horses. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, horse, horse. Full terms apply. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. Hazel Irvin here at Spencer Park in Coventry, where 37-year-old Emily and her mates are taking part in a fancy dress fun run to fundraise for sports relief. And that means I've been lumbered with her dog, Tilly. Oh, Tilly, not over there. And they're off. An impressive array of costumes on show today, everything from penguins to pirates, all taking on poverty and injustice. Respect. Spectacular. Poverty getting crushed by Katie on a space hopper. Easy. Coming into the final stretch now, and it's neck and neck. I think we're in for a photo finish here. But it's Suzanne smashing through injustice. She is our winner. Hey, Tilly, get off my tutu. Tilly, sit. You can help change the world too. Just get your exclusive Sport Relief merchandise at Janeiro's Sainsbury's. Sport Relief. It's game on. This message was brought to you by Acast. The situation in the Pacific is worse than reported. The Japanese are planning something big. What's the target? Midway. From the director of Independence Day. A couple dozen planes. It's all Japanese fleet. We got the order to launch. Discover the incredible true story. Today we're going to be underdogs. Of the World War II battle. Good luck, boys. Fire! Midway. Download and keep now. <laughs> 